I'm so honored that you're here today and to share the word of God. I know we've got a threat of thunderstorms at some point in time today, so if you have a, hear a thunder boom while I'm preaching, just say amen. So here today, let's go right to John's gospel. And uh, I want to just, uh, anytime there's a lot going on, and anytime that we have grandchildren show up at our house, there's a lot going on. And, uh, but I need, I need a Sela moment. I need a pause. I need to be able to move beyond the peripheral for just a few moments and say, I've got to see what's directly in front of me. And that's this word that God's put in my heart for you today that I have meditated on and pondered and pray so sincerely that, that the things that he's done inside of me can be received, that you will be able to receive it today. I think that's fair, don't you? We're only going to read a few verses of Scripture here as we stand. It's in John chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron. Now, in the other, the other Gospels, it says Kidron with the K, Kedron here, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Now, and everybody said amen. Let's turn over to Hebrews. We're two, two verses there in the book of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And I'm a little slower. You're reading it on the screen, but I'm going to turn pages today, which I try to anyhow. But Hebrews chapter number five, verses seven and eight. And this is speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. It's a powerful text, isn't it? Now we're going to go to one last place, 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to read seven, I think, verses here, and that's going to conclude. Chapter number 2, verse number 19 to commence. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well... And suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Odd that there was no amen at that verse of Scripture. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." Verse 25, for you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's good, isn't it? Now let's go back to one verse, though, just real quickly. Right here in this text, if you can go to verse 21, Lori, put it back on the screen. We'll read that and we'll read it slowly. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So I want to talk to you today about something that the Lord's laid on my heart. Oddly enough, I didn't send the phone tree out yesterday to give you a heads up. And um, it's something that I've really contemplated and meditated on over the last couple of weeks, and it's entitled, More Than a Sacrifice. I want you to get that down in your spirit. More than a sacrifice. And let's all pray together that preaching will come easy in this house today. Right, that this word will fall on good ground that's prepared beforehand. As much as I need a Sela moment, you need a Sela moment. 
you need a pause and you need to receive this engrafted word today into your heart and into your lives. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. God, I, I'm so honored for the people that, number one, have gathered in this house. I'm so honored for the people that every individual that stood on this platform and shared their gift with us, whether it been music or song or exhortation. Father, whatever it was, it, we we're already edified by what we've received and what we've been encouraged by. But now, for Father, I'm going to pray publicly what I prayed privately, Father. I just pray that you will make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. That today, I would whatever ability that I can possess to be articulate, to share what you put in my heart, that even I will temper myself, my typical expressions and human emotions, God, need to be subdued to a degree to understand the depth of what we're talking about today. So, Lord, I pray that there's a peace in my heart to share, a peace in the heart of the people to receive, and that, God, through this, we will truly, as already been said, iron will have sharpened iron in this house today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for allowing us to share, allowing me to share and to read the Word of God with you here today. And... I want to go back just very briefly to last Sunday's message, only one thought, and that was when I read from the passage in the book of Jeremiah, where God prophetically promised through, the, through Jeremiah the prophet that there would come a time when he would raise up shepherds, is the word that Jeremiah used, who would truly care for people and would teach the people knowledge and understanding. And I shared with you that through the call of God that's on my life and the maturity of that call. And what I mean by that is, is that as I mature in my relationship with God and, uh, and grow in my relationship with God, I never let go of my calling. And, and so in my calling, my calling is to, to be a pastor and to care for people, to shepherd people, but also to faithfully instruct you. And through that faithful instruction, some of that is uh, obviously knowledge, and knowledge can be gained in a lot of different sources. But, but the thing that's most important to your life is knowledge that's been proven. That has impact. If, if, I, can, if I can share something in your heart that says, I have proven this principle. This is, this is something that's true. I, I, I can defend it, not through the testimony of someone else, but through my own testimony. I can defend what I'm sharing with you in context of your relationship with God. I want to go ahead and talk about Jesus for just a moment. Now, every now and then, I'll say, I'll, I'll say Yeshua. Why would I even say that? Just so that you'll understand, it's because there is no J in the Hebrew alphabet, and it's debatable whether we should be saying Jesus, but I, I like Yeshua. I don't say it all the time, but I love the name of Jesus. I like to speak the name of Jesus, say the name of Jesus. But it's because it is a revelation of the person of Jesus. And what's, what makes the person of Jesus so special is, is that he came to reveal to us his father. And you've heard me say many times that God was veiled for thousands of years. People worshipped God. Now remember, the cultures have worshipped a, a pantheon of deities for hundreds and even thousands of years. But that's not God. A lifeless statue or a, a, an idol that's been, you know, forged out of metal. That's, how many know that's not God? But, but we found that God purposely obscured himself through the veil in the tabernacle and then the temple. But when Jesus came, he came revealing to us his Father. And so I love what the writer Peter said, if we had read earlier in his epistle. It said, though you have seen him not, you love him. That's my heart's expression to you today. I, I have never seen him. I wish that I could describe to you him today. I know we've got the pictures and, you know, we say, God, I, sometimes I'll say, well, that's California Jesus there. Or that's, you know, I, I don't know of, I don't know. We live in a generation certainly when complexity of skin color seems to really matter a lot. And I, I don't really know, what, was, he, was he brown? Was he milk white? Was he tanned from the Middle Eastern sun? Was his hair black? Was it straight? Was it curly? Was his beard long and bushy like Shane's? Or kind of semi-trimmed like mine? Or scraggly like some of 
Never mind. I, I can't say. I, can't, I don't know. I don't know. I can picture him in my mind. And if, if we could, if, if the image that's in my mind were to go on the screen and then you came up and the image that's in your mind went on the screen, it might be entirely different. But without seeing him, the knowledge that I have gained about him has caused me to alter every part of my life. That's the impact that Jesus can have on your life. It, it will cause you to act and react differently. It will cause you to commune with God in a fellowship. You can worship God with a, a consciousness that you couldn't before you communed with God through Christ. Now, the Bible tells us about his miracles first. I'll touch on those for just a moment. John said in his gospel, he said many other things that Christ did when he was among us than the things that we re gospel writers recorded. He said, but these are written. So what he said was, he said, he said and did so much, and you may have read this on your own. He said that if we tried to write them down, he said that the world itself could not contain the volume of books that would be written. Now, don't you think about the magnitude, and I know that, that, that it is... Um, you know, exaggeration there. But literally, he's saying that the world would tilt off of his axis and send the world into, into a, a, a cataclysmic, you know, uh, response to the weight of the volume of books that would be written because of everything that this man said or did in 33 years. And that's powerful. His miracles, that's what John, he said, but he said, but these are written that when you read about them or you hear about them, you might believe, and when you believe, you will have faith and you will have eternal life in his name. That's a, that's a beautiful gift from God, isn't it? That you can read about his miracles. Well, then not only can I read about his miracles, I read about his substitutionary death. Perhaps nothing moves me more in my communion with God and my, and my admiration for Jesus than his substitutionary death. He came to die. His words before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who actually signed the decree for his execution, he said, to this end I was born, to this very purpose that he came into the earth, that he would die as a substitution. Now, you and I get the benefit of the apostolic writers rooted and grounded in Hebrew theology that teaches us about his substitutionary death. If I'd have read further in that text than Peter, Peter said, I want you to know that you were not redeemed from your vain conversation or lifestyle by silver or gold. So you aren't redeemed from your sin. He said, there was no purchasing power in silver and gold to redeem you from your transgression, debt that you had between you and God. There was nothing, he said. He said, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And so I love, there's nothing that moves me more when I go through the shadow and the imagery of every Passover lamb, of every Day of Atonement lamb, of every sacrifice from Abraham's lamb that was uh, stretched out upon the altar on the mountain of Moriah until Jesus' own words when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave up the ghost crying, it is finished. There's all of that. I'm, I'm so thankful today. That as, let me go ahead and connect with that again. The substitutionary work of God has allowed us to worship God with a clear conscience. Now, I'm not saying that your mind, which is carnal, doesn't play attempt to, to, uh, to, to bring you back into condemnation. How many of you know it can and it does and it will if you allow it to? But if you will, if you will learn to exercise his thoughts over your own thoughts... Right, then you can have a clear conviction as you worship God because the same hands that you used to sin with now are sanctified by virtue of the blood of Jesus. And you're able to lift them up and then offer them in sacrifice for the good of others. Come on. And so, so again, I thank God that I, I can study and read and I can come to this pulpit so often and share with you about His redemptive work. But I want you to know today is that He was more than a sacrifice. He was more than a sacrifice, but in that passage that I chose to share with you, Peter said he was our example. And I want you to see, so for a moment, I want you to see if you can begin to identify that with me for just a moment. That means that not only do I look at the lens of Christ, and I look, I look through the lens of faith and I see Jesus, 
And when I do, I see his wonder-working power and his miracles. I see him calming the storm. I see him walking on water. I see him calling dead, man, dead men out of the grave. I see his shadow healing people, people touching his clothes, and instantaneous miracles are taking place. Right? I see all of that, and I move to believe in him. And then I see his blood and his atoning sacrifice. I see a crown of thorns that was pressed deep into his brow. And I moved in my communion with God to know that out of his own body flowed seven fountains of blood that washed away the sin debt, not just my sin, not just my transgression, but the transgression of my children and my grandchildren who are born in sin but will one day be confronted with that knowledge and they too will cry out and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I don't have to wonder where I can point them to. I don't have to say, where am I going to tell my children and my grandchildren how that they can be released from this sin debt? I can say, look to the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and your sins, though they are as scarlet, they will be washed like wool, glory to God. Man, and that gives me great hope and courage and faith. But even beyond that, I want you to know today, he was more than a sacrifice. He didn't just come to die for you. He came to live for you so that you could then emulate his life. So that when you were saying, I don't know how to relate. I got on a different pair of glasses today, by the way. They slip around on my head a little bit. So it might be like when you played that kid in basketball, Lathan, he had a runny nose and he went one way and snot went the other. I might get to move in one way and my glasses go one way or the other. I go the other, so I'd be careful. But with that, he came so that when every situation that I face, every situation, I could look at how he responded. I don't have to. See, I know we live in a generation, again, so much when we all need role models and we often, sometimes, we, we arrive in seasons in life, and especially if we say, well, I didn't have a parent or a grandparent that lived a life of faith in front of me, and I, I, don't, I don't know. Yet, let me tell you, I know that you, that's, I understand, that's a place of brokenness, but you can't stay there forever. Because let me tell you, somebody walked among us. Somebody walked among us, and God made sure that men captured his movements. They captured his action, his responses, his facial uh, his facial movements, which we're going to get to that in just a moment, so that you, that when you're going through difficult seasons in your life, you could say, you know what? I want to follow and live like he did. I want to, did you know I studied that word examples for just a moment, and I found out that it literally means underwriting. It's two words in the original language of Greek. Underwriting, and underwriting that man is not like the underwriter from a bank, but it actually, a banker's underwriting, but it actually is a template or more, it's like a child. And I'll, I'll try to go ahead and bring it up to maybe what it makes sense for me. M many of you may have seen a puzzle, and it might even be a wooden puzzle, or it could be cardboard that's got a, the alphabet on it. And the child will come along, and you'll teach the child, this is where the A goes, this, and, you're, and you're familiarizing them. That's what the word under, that underwriting means. It literally means it's almost like a picture or an image, or if, I, if you will, a template. It, it, it's something that you can literally take home with you, and you can kind of put it up on a place and say, I'm trying to live life, and I'm facing some issues, and, and it's causing me to feel differently and react, and I don't know how to react. Then I can look, and, and this, this is that record. I can then look. Are you all out there? I can then look, and I can think on it, and I can pray on it, and I can ponder it, and I can say, God, I need you to work in me the way that you worked in him. And the grace that he exhibited, that's the grace that I want to exhibit. I need the courage that he possessed. I need the love that he had. I need the ability to forgive people that hurt me even when I do not want to, as Christ did. Right? That's, that's what it means, an example. So that passage there in Peter is very unique because it talked about a word that we really don't like to talk about. Especially, I'm going to tell you, the people that struggle with talking about it the most is Pentecostals. Suffering. Suffering. Because why, why is it a struggle for us? Because we believe in deliverance. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe, just as the song said that we sing, sang about this morning, we believe that in a moment's time, everything can change. The uh, preacher that was up here previously simply spoke of that. 
But there are, this is what experience teaches you through the, as you read the word of God, you will, every one of us, though, will find ourselves in a situation in life when we're desiring an outlet from the trauma that we're in. And we don't find it. And I remember T.D. Jakes years ago said this statement in a message that he preached. It really marked my life. He said, I don't need you to tell me how to act when God answers prayer. I can figure that one out pretty quickly. He said, what I need you to teach me is you need to teach me how when I pray all night, and like the Syrophoenician woman, remember that? He answered her, not a word. So what we know is, if you've been living the Christian faith long enough, you will find yourself in situations at times when it's suffering at some level. And I know there are variations of suffering. And I know we are in America, sometimes we think suffering is when we have to park at the far side of the parking lot to get to Walmart or to church. But I'm talking about far greater levels of suffering. But suffering is not just entirely physical. It's not entirely that you've got a disease that you're praying for healing on and hasn't happened. But there's a lot of things that can be looked at. If we go to that text, he said, if you, let, me, let me go back to that text for a moment. P- Peter said this. He said, if you suffer for your faults, what does that really matter? He said, because it was a just recompense for your action. Meaning that if you sow to the wind, what are you going to reap? The whirlwind. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you, in our civic society, if you break the laws and you find yourself in jail, quit pointing at everybody else. You're suffering for your own breaching or breaking of the laws. But Peter said, but wait a minute. But he said, but what if you are doing everything right? What if you're getting up early and seeking the Lord? What if you're hiding his word in your heart? What if you're coming to the Nehemiah Bible study or following the resurrection of Jesus and you're amongst God's people and you're being kind and considerate and you're giving in the offering and you whispered in Brother Aaron's ear and said, "Uh, somehow, some way, I'm going to bring you $500 because I want to help the gospel to go around the world. What if, what if you're doing all of that and you find yourself suffering? I'm telling you what happens to the human psyche when that moment occurs. I'm telling you it's tough. Because, man, at that moment of time, you get frustrated. I mean, look, is that, am I being transparent enough for you today? I mean, it's really tough in those moments because, I mean, everything bubbles up. How I many you know we are tied to human emotions and they will come bubbling forth and we have a lot of emotions I can cross through a lot quickly. I can have anger. I can have resentment. I've learned that I, have, I can become frustrated with God at times. There are times that I could just almost just say, God, why? I don't understand. I'm supposed to stand in front of the people and teach them about wisdom and understanding. There are times I can say, I don't understand. And I can grow frustrated with God, but sometimes I can pray about that, and I'm looking for a solace, and I'm looking for a deliverance, and I'm looking for victory on the other side, and I don't find it. And I find myself caught in that season where God is doing something beyond just my immediate circumstance. And it's very difficult when you're in that moment. But I'm telling you, that's when your faith is going to be proven. That's when the trying of your faith is going to develop patience in every one of us. And if you will allow it, I'm telling you, God will work a work in you through that season of life that will deepen your faith and deepen your commitment to God than even what the victory will produce in you. Deepen your communion. So what I found myself over the latter couple of weeks, I found myself, um, I don't want to use the term counseling because if I do, I'll have a lot of people calling me. And then I'll have to say, oh, I missed that one. Sorry. I say that very respectfully. I don't want to say counseling because I tell people I'm not a counselor. I don't understand human psycho- psych- psychology and therapy and things of that. I don't, I don't understand all of that. I don't, I don't understand uh, triggering effects that people can see this or that and it can trigger. I, I don't understand. I'm the wrong person for that. But what I can be and what I am is a Bible teacher. Remember what a shepherd is supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to teach the people knowledge and understanding. And I've learned, though, that I just believe in the, in the medicinal healing power of the Word of God. I believe that it can supersede even medicines. 
even therapy. But you got to believe it. You've got to read it and ponder it. And then even beyond this, you've got to identify with it. It can't just be a narrative about somebody else. It can't just be about somebody else's life. You've heard me say, and it was even repeated up here on the platform earlier, you have got to interject yourself into that circumstance in order to fully get everything that you need to get out of it. And in doing so, let me go back to what I said and what Peter said about Jesus. He is our example. So what I found myself is when people were coming to me with some difficult situations, and I shared with them over the last three weeks, in, all, in three separate situations, as I was sharing with them, and the way I do is I pray, I say, God, whatever bubbles up in my spirit, whatever's been hidden inside of me, at that moment, I can't go to the bookshelf and pull off something and say, let's look this up. At that moment, it better already be in there. And so in those moments, I found myself in all three instances there was a particular account in the life of Jesus that bubbled up. And so I knew, I said, and that's it's because it's a passage that I have read and I've meditated on it and I've studied it and I've pondered it and I've gotten everything that I could out of it, so not only for, for, to teach to, to others, but because I need it for my own life. And I'm going to go ahead and see if I can just go there with you. And I'm not going to read the text I'll probably, she's got it if I choose to go there later. But in just a moment, just real quickly, let me introduce it. I'm going to introduce it just kind of through, just through my own memory of it, if I can. In John's Gospel, chapter 18, so remember, Jesus is our example, right? Is that what the Word said? So in John's Gospel, chapter number 18, Jesus and his disciples had just finished the Passover meal. And so let me, can I fill this in for you today? Let me just fill it in. So I'm going to be at peace with this today. Satan has entered Judas of Iscariot. His hand was in the sop. Jesus had predicted his betrayal. He rises up quickly, gathers his cloak, and enters the darkness of the city street. To go to a darker place. The betrayal of the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus is undeterred. Jesus then sings a hymn because it's Passover. It's a time of celebration, isn't it? It's a time when they were commemorating their deliverance from Egypt as a, as a people. Once they sing a psalm, they then cross the Kidron Valley, which is a, a chasm, if you will, that separates where the city of Jerusalem and Mount Zion sits, and the Mount of Olives. We were there. We visited it. We were there on our trip. It's a Kedron Valley. And Jesus then goes to, on the Mount of Olives, Olives, a place. It plainly says a particular place. It's a particular place that's there. And while there, I noticed this. It's kind of odd. John himself was one that in a moment we'll see was given privy to part of the story that others that were present, that write, weren't given access to. And then John himself does not describe what took place when they crossed the Kedron until they were confronted by Judas and his band that was coming to betray Jesus or to take Jesus captive. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospel writers, give us their brief account of what took place. Matthew records the most, 11 verses. That's, the, that's all it is. And if you read Mark's is brief, Luke's is even less. It's a, it's a little glimpse of something. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, you have got to understand what took place when Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane comes to us in two Hebrew words, actually meaning oil press. And you've heard me say before, and I've taught this publicly in days gone by, it's very ironic because it says that there was a garden there. And so what most scholars tell us is that garden would have been actually a grove. It would have been a grove of olive trees. It is thus the Mount of Olives. Jesus has gone there many times. It says plainly in John's gospel that his disciples are familiar with it. It was a place that, here's what the King James says, he resorted. It was a place where he found solace, retreat. It was a place that were in the ministry and, the, and dealing with people and the pressures of ministry. And especially anytime he was near Jerusalem. Because when he was in Jerusalem, he wasn't just healing the sick. And he wasn't just performing miracles. He was constantly contending 
with the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers. And, and that's a pressure. How many know that's a pressure? I mean, when, when there's a constant pressure that comes on you, sometimes you just got to escape from that. I mean, you know, you cannot live your life. You are not designed by God to live in a constant state of pressure. You have got to have some solace. You've got to get away. You've got to say, you know what, I can give you this much of me for right now, but I've got to draw the line. I've got to find my place of retreat and renewal. And Jesus did that often. And when I think about a garden, how many know a garden can be very therapeutic? I mean, even working in a garden. Maybe not if you were working in the field like in days gone by, hoeing cotton from the stories I hear about some of the old timers without me being offensive saying that. But I'm talking about your personal garden. I'm talking about something where you go and there's therapy and if you arrive in the morning time and the birds are chirping and there's dew in the garden, right, fresh dew, and it's serene and maybe the, the, you know, maybe the, the sun is just cresting in the eastern sky. and it's just, it's just a very serene place, isn't it? Jesus had been there many times in that moment. And I think there's a parallel to this. I think it parallels something that we call prayer. How many know prayer is a solace at times? Prayer is a place of refuge. Prayer can be that place. Prayer is a gift from God. Prayer is a place where you and I can escape, and especially if we'll leave this behind, right? We can escape... And you and I can walk under the shadow of the Almighty. Under the shadow of His wings. The psalmist said, in prayer, God will take you to a rock that's higher than you are. What does that mean? That means He will lift you at times around above the fray. And you get to experience His glory and His presence. But let me tell you, on that night, it was totally different from that morning prayer. It was a different weight that was in the heart of Jesus. So Jesus arrives there. And here's what I want you to see for a moment. He arrives there at perhaps the entrance. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, so I'm having to imagine this some. But I see an entrance into the garden. Gethsemane, they're still there, and there's a gated entrance today. there. If you go today, you're going to have to push the iron gate open to go into Gethsemane where the olive grove is. And I see the Bible says that Jesus severed. He separated his disciples. He separated the eight, and he left them there. And he gave them, he didn't give them strict really I mean, deep religion. He didn't say, watch with me. He just said, stay here. I'm going to go yonder and pray. So you think about, they, 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 this had happened before because he then said, Peter, James, John, grab your brother. Come on. I want you three to go with me. The other eight, I tried to, I tried to think about what was in their mind. I think they've accept, they had already accepted that, God had a, that Christ had an inner core. Right, and they, they just so in that moment, I think they're just like, you know what, let's just go and get some sleep. It's going to be a busy day, Passover tomorrow. But they get a little bit farther. Jesus takes those three, and something happens. You've got to read this. Jesus said these words, or here's what the writer, Jesus himself said. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Again, let me go back to T.D. Jakes. I know how to celebrate when God's answering prayer. But what about when I'm in a place of brokenness? Did you know one translation of that my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death? The Amplified Bible says my soul is so grieved that he said, I feel like I'm about to die. Now, I know it's one thing for us to see the Son of God in our theater of our mind walking on water, calming the storm, casting out devils, legions of demons, healing the sick. But what about when he looks at three men that he's close to and he's, and he's under a panic attack? What I've learned about a panic attack is, it, I mean, the weight starts setting on people. They can hardly breathe. Jesus said by his own mouth, he said, my soul is so grieved I, that, that he said, I think I'm about to die. I need somebody to watch with me. And that's heavy. And he said, Peter, James, and John, would you watch with me? And I've thought about that for a moment, and I thought, you know, God, there are four places that were related to this prayer that we're going to just kind of, just for a moment, I won't preach too long, but and I hope I can finish it today, but that you could just try to grasp, if you can, in your own spirit. I found myself that I was probably one of each one of these places. I've been in the eight before. I've been in the eight when... 
people said, hey, pastor, you know, this is going on in my life. Fine, that's good. I'm over here. I got to get some sleep. I can feel it, but I don't really know what's going on. But I've also been in the three when somebody's come to me and said, man, you got to watch with me. Help me. Pray with me. But then through my own, you'll know this story, through slumber, I prayed, but I wasn't quite as vested as what somebody hoped that I would be. I've been that person too. I've also been that third person, Christ, that I've looked at somebody and said, man, I need somebody. I need somebody to get a hold of God for me. I need somebody to watch with me because this moment that I knew I was going to come to, I knew I was going to face it, but now that I'm on the brink of it, that chasm is a lot deeper than what I thought. And, and, and I don't even know if I can do it. And so Jesus then, and this is what's in my heart. There's one more character we'll get to in a moment. But Jesus then did something. And this is what I was counseling the people about. Jesus did something what many times we don't do. What we often do when we're in a crisis moment in our life is we are dependent upon somebody else to pray for us. We're asking somebody to aid us. We're asking for somebody to agree. I'm not trying to take away from you enlisting people to pray for you. I'll tell you, it's more important that you go to three people in private than it is for you to post it on Facebook. I'm going to tell you and be honest with that. But the Bible says that Jesus then, a stone, I always picture this in my mind, a stone's throw. That's what the Bible says. Luke records it. What's a stone's throw? Now, I'm not talking about if you've got an arm like Tom Brady. I'm talking about if you've just got an average arm, that's 100 feet across here, not much farther than the distance of this sanctuary. A stone's throw that he left Peter and James and John to pray while he separated himself in the darkness. The only light, there's no, there was no uh, flame uh, lifting off, leaping off of a torch in the garden. The only light that came into that garden that night was the full light of the Passover moon that shone down upon him. But the gospel writer records these words. And I got, you've got to see this as this pressure is mounting upon Jesus. Remember, he's our example. Right? He's our example because I'm telling you, life will put enough demand on you that if you're not there now, there will come a moment in your life at some point in time when you will feel the pressure and you will not oftentimes know what to do. And I'm going to tell you one thing that you better learn. Don't forget this is to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus then went a stone's throw away. And listen to what he did. The Bible says that he literally fell. Read it on your own. Fell. Luke said on his knees, Matthew and Mark said he fell. Here's how he prayed. Now, in my mind, when I think about Jesus, I think I remember when he broke the bread and multiplied the fishes. Lord, I want to thank you that you're a God of more than enough. And I lift up my eyes to heaven and call on the name of the Lord and your greats and your miracles. Come on, somebody. But in that moment, he couldn't even lift his eyes up. The weight was so heavy that he fell on the ground. You know where the struggle came from? Here's the struggle. He was praying about something that he already knew the answer to. And that's what makes it hard. It's one thing to make a petition when you're like, I don't really know, and I'm going to try to stand in faith, and I'm looking for a word, and I'm saying, God, give me a word. But it's another thing when you already know that God has called you for this moment and even when your flesh is revolting, God's expecting you to endure the pressure of the moment because he's got something beyond your own personal victory. <laughs> Can I, let me say it one more time. When God has something beyond, I think about this. Let me tell you, Jesus prayed this way. Matthew and Mark record it differently. Mark says that he prayed one of them, I think it may be Luke, says that he prayed, Abba, Father. So it was still his heart with him bowed down on the ground, face on the ground. He still, in a, and, and as I meditated, I thought, my God, Jesus believed in prayer so much that even at that moment, the thing that he knew he needed the most was he needed the affirmation of his Father. More than he needed an army to defend him. 
more than he needed three men to pray with him. He needed the confidence that only God can give. And so when he did, he prayed. Here's what he prayed. Read it now on your own. He said, Abba, Father, with you all things are possible. And he knew all things were possible. We're talking about he who was there in the beginning. We're talking about he that by his own word the world spanned, you know, were stretched out. That, that he himself, the word of God, had seen the creative plan of God. That even as a man he had seen miracles. Right? He had saw the elements of the world uh, respond to his voice. He saw demons flee when he just spoke a word. He saw blind eyes and he saw crippled limbs immediately healed. He knew with God all things are possible. He knew that God could deliver him. He knew that God could send angels. He also knew that at the back of the garden was, if there's a front gate, there's typically a back gate. And he knew that he could just slip away through the darkness and escape what he already knew to be the will of God. And I'm telling you, it put a trauma in him. And I found myself counseling people that I said, let me, let me tell you, you already know the will of God. You already know the will of God. It's not about praying for the will of God to happen. You already know it. It's about you becoming conformable to the will of God, which is much more difficult. It's much more difficult when it's about me altering my desires. And so I, I love that passage of Scripture because it says, he said, Abba, Father, all things. Now, remember, I'm saying it like this, but he was actually prostrate on the ground, face buried into the sandy hillside uh, of the Mount of Olives. And it was there that he said these words. He said, he said Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass, semicolon. Did you know the eternal fate of every person hinged on one word, two words combined, or I guess three actually, King James English, nevertheless. Nevertheless, let me tell you, why is that so important to you today? Why is that, Pastor Brown, you've got so much here today and there's a depth to this and there's a solemnness here today? There should be. Everything in the kingdom is not calisthenics. Everything in the kingdom is not, look at what God did in my life. Sometimes in the kingdom is your head is buried in the soil and you're feeling pressure and weight and you don't want to be there and you know it's going to demand sacrifice and it's going to demand that you give up something that you don't want to give up, but you already know it's the will of God and you're torn inside because the natural reaction is to escape. The natural reaction is to say, God, you got to get me out of here. God, you delivered the children of Israel. You delivered this person. What about me? And you pray. And you profess. And you confess. But deep in your heart, you know God's called you to be in that moment. I'm telling you, that's when the trying of your faith is more precious than of gold. That's when your character and the strength of faith that you possess will be made known. And Jesus prayed a prayer. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm telling you, that's a prayer you're going to have to welcome into. Come on, your repertoire of prayer. And I believe in, but there's some things you've got to know the will of God for. But there are some times you arrive at situations and, and this one, actually, it was already known. Jesus had already told the Son of Man's going to go to Jerusalem. He'd already told his disciples the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He will, beaten, mock, he will be beaten, mocked, and spit upon. And These were his own words. Read it in the Gospels. He had already foretold his own execution and death. And he knew it was the will of God. But I'm telling you, the challenge of faith is when you know it's the will of God, but your flesh revolts at it. That's the reality of being a Christian. If you suffer because you are, I want to say an idiot, 
but I shouldn't talk like that in church. If you suffer because you were doing things you shouldn't have done, what is it? But what about when you've been doing everything right? The last I read, up until that moment, he had never sinned. A bruised reed he had not broke. A smoking flax he had not quenched. Anybody that was downcast, he lifted. Anybody that was hurting that he could, he healed. Right? He was hurt and wounded and people said things and he never, he never lashed out. So that's an innocent man who knows that the night and the morrow he will suffer violently, not for him, for his sins, but for the sins of others. That's a tough place to be. But I'm telling you today, let me tell you real quickly, marriages can be saved with the word nevertheless. Are y'all out there today? Reputations can be preserved with the word nevertheless, right? A spiritual legacy for family, for children can be maintained when you pray and every fiber of your being is wanting to do something else, but you already know the revealed will of God. And you say, God, I don't want to do it, but he did it. He was my example. He was more than a sacrifice. He was a template so that I would know what God expects of me. Jesus went away. I'm getting ready to close. I could preach all day on this. I mean, I really mean that. I know some of you say, we believe that. It feels like it. But remember, as a shepherd, a pastor, my job for you is to teach you knowledge and understanding. And everybody, you will not always be delivered from every difficult situation. There will be times in your life the only way to make it through is to endure, to commit yourself. I've often wondered, did, how many more words did Jesus utter? You know, the gospel writers just give us a small segment. Hebrew said that through strong crying and tears. Did y'all hear that? I mean, that was emotion. The only other time we see emotion of Jesus at that level was when he heard about Lazarus's excuse me, his death, and Mary was weeping, and he wept with her. But in that was strong crying and tears. The son of the living God was petitioning his father that he knew so intimately, and he was asking him to do something that he already knew was against the will of God. And he knew, let me tell you this, before I really start to narrow it to close, I honestly believe that Jesus knew in his heart and believed that God would alter human history for the sake of his son. God loved him that much. I honestly believe if he had not put the word nevertheless into that prayer, if he would have stood and said right there, Father, there's got to be another way. Before the rooster crowed that morning, the heavens would have been ablaze and angels would have came and they would have reached into that garden and they would have took heaven's most precious gem, the son of the living God, and they would have escorted him back to God's eternal presence. But when that curtain would have closed, there would have been eternal damnation for every man born of Adam. And Jesus knew it. And that's why I'm telling you the weight of that moment was so heavy. Nevertheless, the balance is shifted. Jesus goes, he finds Peter, James, and John sleeping. That's the text. Could you not watch with me one hour? And then he said these words, and there's so much in this, and I already know I've already used too much of your time, and I can't go there. But he said this. He said, pray that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit is indeed willing, but your flesh is weak. And every one of us have to understand that. I'm telling you, I don't care how big you are out here, your flesh is still weak. right? And when you're confronted by the right thing at the right moment, I'm telling you, you can make the wrong decision because you don't trust your flesh. And Jesus said, I've got to have the help of the Spirit. And this is where I want you to see, though, in closing the message off here today. The Bible says that Jesus went back. Remember how he prayed? He said, nevertheless, Father, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's how he ended the prayer. 
This time he goes back and he begins, and he doesn't pray the first part of the prayer the same way he prays it toward the way he prayed the ending prayer, the latter of it. Now he's already beginning to see a shift. Are you out there? He's already beginning to commend and to commit and to conform his will to the will of the Father. And I love this, and this is why it's so important, and this is why you need to see this in your own life. This is where in that moment, the second level of his prayer is that he prayed more earnestly. I'm telling you, I don't think we're earnest enough with God in our generation. Again, we're the popcorn generation. We're the McDonald's drive-thru. That's all we want. We don't invest any time in communion with God. And I want you to know today that there are some situations in life you will never make it through unless you get a stone stole away. And wallow this thing out. I'm telling you, bury your head in the soil if you have to. But get alone with God. And he prayed more earnestly this time. Yet the weight was still so heavy, Luke says, that his brow began to beat up with sweat that had droplets of blood contained in it. Now, why is that interesting? It wasn't hot. It was early spring. Read the text later. Peter's warming himself by the fire. This thing is so heavy on him, he is sweating in cold temperatures because his heart is so being strained into the weight of this moment. And you've, not, you've been there. Some of you are there right now. And I came along to tell you today, there's a way. There's a way. And deliverance may not be it. And I didn't mean to disappoint you. But enduring it through the example that he set could be your answer, glory to God. Lastly, in that moment, there's so much depth to it, I'll have to cut it off for the sake of time. Luke is the only gospel writer that says, on the second time, God sent an angel. God sends an angel. Why is that important to us? Why wasn't there an angel there in the first time? Hmm? That's fair. You know why we often don't get the strength that we need in prayer? Because we vacate the garden way too early. If you will stay in that moment of submission to the will of God, broken before God, and you will pray standing upon his word, looking to the example, I believe God will send an angel to you, and it will, he will strengthen you. And in the words of our dear Pastor Jojo, at that moment, your situation may not have changed, but your perspective about the situation has now changed. And you will see it through the lens of faith, and you will see it for a good that's greater than your own personal deliverance. Remember what the writer said? The writer said, who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. And so when you find yourself in that moment and you say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Who can give me therapy? Who can give me counsel? Is there a pill that I can take? Is there medicine? Is there a program that I can watch? I'm telling you, I'm not trying to speak against any of those things. But I'm telling you, if you seek to replace Gethsemane for all those things, you will live forever bound to that oppressive moment that you find yourself in right now. There's sometimes no other way. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And to conclude this, as Daryl joins me on the platform, the third time he goes back to prayer, speeding the story up for the sake of time. I've had to hit fast forward. Everything's at peace. When he comes back to his disciples, no more reproof. No more passing any burden of responsibility to pray on them. He simply says, rise up. Let us be going. The time is at hand. And I've thought about that so many times in my own personal walk with God. Jesus' situation did not change. But he changed. And I still believe that that can be the key. That can be the key to us. To you and I being who God's called us to be. It really can be. It's when you say, Father, man, this is tough.
and I'm transparent. I'm telling you, be transparent before God in prayer. Why are you trying to hide anything? We're trying to act all spiritual in God's presence. Lord, I approach thee by the holy angels of God. Thou hast the, well, he already knows. There's not a word formed on your tongue or a thought in your mind that he doesn't already know. That's why I can stand on the platform and say, I have been frustrated with God. It's not like he's like, what? Really? Leave thou, thou holy man of God? He knew. He already knows. So be transparent with him. Jesus was. Lord, if there's any other way. He was transparent in his communion with God. And victory belongs to those who will set and emulate and follow the example of Jesus. He's more than a sacrifice. Can you hear that today? He's more than a sacrifice. He's your example. Husbands and wives, he's your example. How to love each other. Co-workers, he's your example. Parent, he's your example. Student, he's your example. Look to him. Look to Jesus. He left you an example that you could follow. I remember years ago when I first was taking my son's hunting. I remember. It was a really cool moment for me personally. Except for when Austin reached down and grabbed a little copperhead. And I was like, don't know, son, don't do that. <laughs> or he almost did. But I remember, because, you know, hunters often, we try. We think we're like, you know, Tonto out there, you know, in our moccasins. And we're you know, quiet and everything, and really we're like a bear in the woods crashing, you know, but, but, but I'm, yeah, some people put toe down, heel, I typically put heel and toe, just branches. Have you ever bumped a branch with leaves on it that sounds just like a rattlesnake? I'm telling you, I have a 48-inch vertical leap in those moments because it's happened. But I remember Anthony and Austin. Anthony's four, five, Anthony, or Austin's about three and a half, and Taking my turkey hunt. And I looked back there. And there was that little guy. And every place that I put my foot. Every place that I inched over. There was his foot. And I remembered those words even then. I remember. that He said, I've left you an example. That you should follow in my steps. And I want you to know today. I could have entitled this message not only more than a sacrifice, but I could have entitled it a stone's throw. That's where many of you need to be. I'm not telling you don't seek counsel. I'm not telling you not to get therapy. You need all of that. If you need it, especially if you're in an intense situation, then, then you get everything that you need. But if you do that without getting a stone's throw away, and really seeking the heart of your Father and praying openly and honestly, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that you will really find the resolve that you need unless you get a stone's throw away. He let, how many of you are thankful for Jesus today? Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed today. I'm thankful for Jesus. I don't know what time. I started at 1110. Let me see. I preached 50 minutes. I know in today's generation that's way too long. But I can't apologize for it. This is my heart to yours. He came not only to redeem you. He came not only to deliver you. He came to teach you. Teach you how to live. Teach you how to react. Teach you how to respond. Can you for a moment right where you're at. Thank God for Jesus. Can you thank God for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Lord, today for who you are. Every one of us have the ability to think and ponder, picture images in our mind. Use that imagination to have a vision of Jesus. But don't just watch it like a television program. Emulate it. Follow it. Pattern it. Speak what he spoke. Say what he said. Do what he did. Live how he lived. He left you an example. 
follow in his steps. When you're overwhelmed, go to prayer. When you're frustrated, steal away and pray. When you're really heavy in situations, find that solace, that comfort, find that place that God has for you. You know, I can end this message in multiple ways, but I've got to give, I believe, a threefold invitation. Number one, today, you may be here today, and you have never actually come to Christ and his redemption and his forgiveness and your fellowship with God through him. Let me tell you, in a moment, I'm still going to pray with anybody that would want to be prayed for. I just feel like I should today. I think it's the right thing to do. But don't let the stones throw from one side of the church front to back keep you from being in the presence of God through Christ and knowing that your sins are forgiven through him. Because in a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation and you could come forward. Number two, though my emphasis today was on the stones throw away, from the three that he asked to pray, I still don't want to overlook the virtue of someone praying for you. That was an important moment to Jesus, and if it was important to him, it's important to us. And lastly, the thing I'm going to charge you with, though, is in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand, then I'm going to give you an opportunity. The last thing I'm going to charge you with today is I'm going to charge you especially those of you that have really been going through some difficult situations in your life. you got to find the place. you got to find the place. That's how John said it. John said when we arrived at the place. What's that for you? What is that? Where, what is the place for you? Is church the place? Is it in your backyard? Is it a, a, a mountain that you go off like he did alone? Is it the closet in your bedroom? I don't know where the place is. I just know you need to find it. And you need to go there. And you need to find the presence of God. And you need to become conformable to the will of God. You, you can't obtain the resolve that you need unless you go there. I'm just telling you, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You cannot find the resolve that you need when you're facing people that have hurt you, wounded you, or a spouse that's frustrated at you, or a spouse that you're frustrated with, or children that have hurt you and walked out of your life, you can't find the resolve that you need to respond to those situations if you don't get a stone's throw away and find the will of God in prayer. I leave you with that. Everybody stand up with me. If you would today. It's 12.05 according to my watch. 12.07. I would be amiss. If I didn't give an opportunity. For any person that would say. Pastor Brown. I know it's 12. And people are going to be leaving. And we're going to be respectful of that. But I would just like to ask. For you to watch with me for a moment. Pastor Brown would you pray with me today. Would you anoint my head with oil or just, at the, even if you don't do that, just come and join your faith with mine and pray for the grace of God and pray for God's mercy and his, I need his help here today. I told you that when, before I would conclude the message that I said there were four different people groups, if you will, in the story. The eight, the three, Jesus, but then there was an angel sent by God who ministered to Christ. Did you know I believe us as pastors for that brief sacred moment can be like that angel? I know you're saying, well, now, Pastor, you're saying you're angelic. No, I'm simply saying that God can use us and use someone else. It doesn't have to be a pastor. God can use someone else to strengthen you while you pray. And if that's you today, I'll just make it easy for you. I'll come down right here, right now. I'll even aid you. I'll put a cough drop in so I won't have... Knock down breath when you get here. If you are, if you're here today, because I'll let another pastor pray 
over the congregation, and I'll let you be dismissed in a spirit of love. But if you're here today and you, and, and you just say, Pastor, I just, I just want to, and you say, I don't want to feel embarrassed. Well, then I'm sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I can't not give you the opportunity. It'd be wrong, wouldn't it? It'd be wrong to preach the way I preached and not give an opportunity. In case somebody just says, for today, Pastor, I'd just like somebody to stand with me for just a moment. Now, if no one comes forward, I'll pray the closing prayer. More important than me today is that stone's throw. I already know that. That's the heart of the message. But if you need that prayer, then don't miss it. Don't miss that moment. Anyone else took one? The others are coming. Anybody else today? Come on, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is a safe place, isn't it? That's why we call it a sanctuary. Isn't that right? That's why we call it the sanctuary.